The following is a presentation of GalacticNetcasts.com. Before there was radio, TV, or podcasts, people gathered together to tell stories. And these stories were meant to entertain or educate. It really drew people in and helped them forget their troubles of the day and experience something they've never imagined before or maybe illustrated something in a way that was more easily to mentally digest. This tradition has been reborn in the forms of not only RPGs and LARPs, but in console, card, and board games as ways to tell a story and bring you into the tale. We're going to be talking about news, kickstarters of games you should be aware of, and interview a guest about a topic that involves some aspect of storytelling. We welcome you to the Adventure Party. Hello and welcome to the 26th gathering of the Adventure Party on this, the 27th of September. I'm your party leader, Brad Ludwig. We ask that you peace tie your swords, holster your blasters, and make sure you don't confuse your 12-siders with your 20-siders while you are gathered at the meeting table. Boy, nothing sucks more than rolling the wrong die, I'm telling you. Can't roll over a 12, man. (laughs) I'm never getting a crit. What's going on? sucks. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, this week we don't have guests, but we do have the effervescent Glenn Bittner. He is a movie reviewer on the YouTubes with his show, The B-Movie Bunker, and he is the creator of the RPG Mistrunner. How are you, sir? Bubbly. <laughs> That threw me for a loop, and I'm not exactly sure why. Uh, Speaking of being thrown for a loop, because we don't have a guest, uh, we reach into the grab bag of topics that we have, and the topic that we uh, pulled out of the hat this week is uh, discussing movies that feel like they're RPG sessions. They feel like... It, well, I you know I I think I picked a movie that was probably universally panned, but screw everybody else. But it did feel like a a cyberpunk 2020 game, and uh, and we'll get to that when we get there. But there are some movies that either have a great deal of action that fit a specific genre, and you watch it and you go, oh, this would fit under X game system, and I could see that working. And I think I know how I would, you know, draw up the villain, how I would make the NPCs, and how this would all kind of flow. And it takes on a different, I don't know, uh, sense in your head as as to how that would be constructed. And maybe you get gaming ideas from that. But that said, we're going to talk about the films that we wa- that Glenn and I watched and went, oh, you know. I wonder if some folks were playing a session of, you know, Champions, or somebody was playing a session of D&D or something, and kind of drafted this idea based on a session, perhaps. So, as always, we are going to start with uh, Glenn's review of a game that has caught his eye, and he feels that uh, everybody else who's a member of the Adventure Party should be aware of. So, uh, what do you have this week, Glenn? Ladies and gentlemen, in the right corner, we have weighing in at 324 pounds, Bam Bam El Fuego, and his opponent, weighing in at a 
179 pounds, Anita Dynomita. Ladies and gentlemen, I am bringing you Luchador, the Mexican wrestling dice game. <laughs> uh, this is from Mark Rivera. It's published by Backspindle Games. came out in 2013. There's actually the second edition, which is the only one you should get because they improved play quite a bit. It's two to four players, and it is about 15 to 30 minutes, depending if you're doing two-player or if you're doing a four-player tag team match. First of all, the design of it is great. It comes with a little board you can roll dice on, the little dice that have, you know, your hits and your block and your counters and all that. But rolling on the board is for chumps when they include a three-dimensional wrestling ring with rope to tie around the edge, and you actually roll the dice in the ring. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay, uh, for, for those of you who are watching this on YouTube, uh, right now I have, this is beautiful. This is absolutely yeah. freaking beautiful. Yep, uh, and that's what comes with it. That's not like a prop. <laughs> oh, this is great. Yeah, so if you're watching YouTube right now, I've got images of what this ring that you assemble for this game uh, looks like, and it is a thing of beauty. And I, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sold. I, I want this game now. Um, yeah, and it's it's a lot of fun. I mean, it, it, this is not you know intense strategy, heavy thinking type game. This is just roll some dice, and I mean, it's, there's a lot of luck involved. You do have some choices here and there, but um, you've got a great selection of wrestlers. And there's regular play, and there's advanced play. Advanced play is the one I would recommend playing because that's where you're you get a little bit more variety where the wrestlers actually adopt special powers and weaknesses and strengths that sets them apart from in the basic version where it's just simply go, oh, there's just a little flavor text for when you roll a specific die. But generally what you can do is each turn, players are going to roll your dice. You're going to have your own color dice, and you're both going to roll them in the wrestling ring. Um, any dice that go out of the ring are out of play for the turn. <laughs> um, and you have you, your dice, will, and some, some will be misses. Some will be blocks, which will counter, which will, well, a block will stop a hit. A hit lets you roll hit dice, which are going to do damage. And then counters, a counter counters a hit and then lets you, as the person who rolled the counter, roll a hit die. And then there's uh, a pin die. A pin die, as players get weaker, um, as you're taking damage from your hit point total, um, you can become pinnable. Now, if someone rolls a pin die, they have an option. They can try to pin you which is one of the ways you can win, or they can re-roll those pin dice once to try to get a different result. And part of the key of wanting to re-roll is if you re-roll, you can try to roll it so you can so you knock your opponent's dice out of the wrestling ring, meaning they will then be out for the round. Oh. Although you'd be careful because you might end up rolling your own dice out of the ring. Sure. So, but still, once you once everyone's dice are, are done rolling. You see what hits, what blocks everyone has, and then you'll roll your hit dice based on it. You can also cash in three of your hit dice to roll your special luchador die, which will give you different special things, which could be really, really damaging or could also hurt you because you can actually stun yourself from trying to do some special move. Um, typical, uh, you simply start with 21 hit points in the game, 18 if you're doing a tag team match. Uh, most of the attacks can do one, two, three damage like that. Between the luchador damage, you get all the way up to like seven damage. When you're trying to pin someone, what you do is you roll the pin dice, and uh, what, you, what your opponent's going to have to do is they're going to have to roll dice to try to not be pinned. They're going to get three tries to successfully get out of the pin. If they don't, they're pinned, and you win the match. The other way to win is by simply reducing your opponent to zero hit points 
thus knocking them out. <laughs> and I just, when I was younger, I remember some TV station we had on cable uh, would show luchador matches, and I loved it. I mean, I was a wrestling fan already when I was when I was a younger kid, but the luchador stuff was just so much better. And then as I got older, I found some of the movies uh, with like the luchadors fighting Dracula and zombies and all that stuff. And it's just, it's a whole culture that a lot of people just aren't that familiar with or don't know, don't even know exists. And I just find it fascinating because it's just this whole other world. And the characters they give you, as I said, I mean, the one someone to mention, there was Anita Dino, uh, Dinomita, there's Lady Kabuki, there's Ayayay Dolores, <laughs> and you get uh, La Tormenta Muerta, El Territo, who's little dog, Hilo. La Cobra Vuela and El Charo Negro. So just all these great little characters with, and they all have their special powers and weaknesses if using the advanced rules. I mean, like, Bam Memo Fuego has athletic ability because he trains the gymnasts in his youth. He is a master of acrobatics. He excels in the air. A Bam Bam drop kick scores two extra points of damage. So he does three instead of the usual one. But because of his fam flamboyant aerobatics, when Bam Bam's signature move fails, it fails big time. Any fail results rolled by Bam on the Lucha die counts as an injury and results in an instant stun. So he's got a weakness that goes with it. Each character also has a killer combo. If you roll specific dice, you get to then do a combination roll. So like you roll a hit, hit, block, you then, which is how you get your Lucha die. For example, Bam Bam gets to roll a Lucha die plus two pin die. Someone else might roll uh, the Lucha plus some hit dice. And, you know, so that way you can do, like, tons of damage all at one time. Or you can even damage your opponent and try to pin him at the same time. It's just, a, it, it's really cool. I haven't played with all the characters yet. I actually just picked this up, like, five days ago. Okay. Um, I saw it at Gen Con. I had heard of it a while back. And then I saw it at Gen Con, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I should pick it up when I get back. And then I forgot about it for about a month. And then I uh, saw it, somebody mentioned it. I'm like, oh, I wonder if they have it in distribution. I'm like, sure enough. And I brought it in. And it's like $35, which for a game that gives you, I mean, you get like, I don't know, 20-some dice. You get the cards for the characters are really good quality. And you get a freaking 3D wrestling ring. Yeah, I mean, that's a deal. Yeah, it's, it's a, it's, I think it's a great value for the money. It's a fun uh, little filler game. And I just, you know, I, I, I love the art production of it. I mean, the, uh, the wrestling ring. I mean, it does make it a bit harder to store in the box, but you know what? Take the good with the little bit of bad. <laughs> yeah, and uh, from the images that we were kind of flipping through uh, while you were talking, yeah, that's it, uh, that's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Okay. Oh, that is that is great. Oh, and I wanted to let you know that uh, uh, for my birthday. My ex-wife and son got me a birthday present, which was a copy of The Castles of Mad King Ludwig. Have you played it? Not yet. It is uh, sealed up, and we have not pulled it out to uh, to play with anybody yet. So as soon as I do get to play it, I will I will let you know. Yes, because if anyone should play it, it should be Mad Brad Ludwig. <laughs> uh, sadly, the last name of Ludwig is uh, the... German equivalent of Smith, so yeah, no relation whatsoever. All right, no, that's great, and I. Uh, it, yeah. <laughs> well, besides, I, I adopted into the name of of Ludwig, so definitely no blood relation there. 
I, I really want to play this game. I really do. This is awesome. Thank you so much for bringing that to our attention. It's called Luchador Mexican Wrestling Dice Game by Backspindle Games. Two to four players, and like you said, 30 minutes is the maximum amount of time to play a game. Yeah. That is wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. Okay. going to move on to the news, and uh, this caught my eye. We uh, just posted the Kenneth Height audio uh, version of his uh, his interview on on the Adventure Party, and he spoke of Chaosium and how they have the RPG rights to Cthulhu. And uh, when he did the uh, the the Cthulhu, uh, what was it a uh, Trail of Cthulhu? I think that's what it was. The uh, the pulp Cthulhu mythos game. They had to arrange rights with Chaosium, and uh, Chaosium here uh, ends 40 years in the San Francisco Bay Area in California. Uh, as a part of its ongoing restructuring, the iconic games company Chaosium has made the difficult decision to close its office and warehouse in Hayward, California, ending the 40-year physical presence of the company in the San, Francis San Francisco Bay Area. Uh, Chaosium has a global fan base, and the principal officers of the company are located across the globe, said Chaosium President Nick. Oh, boy. I'm going to go with Mantis. Uh, Rick Mantis. Uh, our Axis Mundi is now online and at conventions. While archives, records, and the company's <laughs> and the company cockatrice, which... Uh, Actually, if you click the link here from the uh, nworld.org uh, news article that we'll have in the show notes, uh, they do have a box for the company Concatrice, uh, have been moved north to Chaosium's base of operations in the Pacific Northwest. The company is switching to a uh, fulfillment model out of Brainerd, Minnesota for shipping, the same center used by Moon Design Publications. We are also listening to our international customers' concerns and are well on the way to establishing a similar fulfillment model in Europe and are looking at better options for other international destinations, says Mainz. And again, we'll have the link to, the, uh, to this particular article in the show notes, and uh, you can see the, the sad pictures of them packing up shop and, and moving on out. Now, from what I understand from reading other comments and a little bit of, of um, what's going on with Chaosium, uh, yes, they have gone through a, a bit of a restructuring, and um, it sounds like there's a lot of online concern that the direction that the company was headed um, was not a good one, and it uh, lessened their their market share, I guess, and... Uh, um, ability to be seen in the public eye. It didn't seem like there was a lot going on with, uh, with the Chaosium uh, stuff, uh, especially the Cthulhu stuff. So um, hopefully this is a, a good move for them and uh, things will, will definitely improve for them. Um, when's the last time you played Call of Cthulhu? 19... Yeah. Nin late 1990s, maybe early 2000s. Yeah, I think it was early 2000s for me as well. Um, 
and uh, actually Todd Roll ran that game, and it was it was spectacular. Uh, Todd but Roll, it was. I've heard you mention him before. <laughs> we have mentioned Todd Roll before, <laughs> um, and uh, he played an excellent, creepy uh, game, set it up for us, and um, yeah, I was the last quote unquote survivor, as it were. Um, and I had to, my character had to give his life up to save the world. <laughs> so, uh, as as is many the theme in a Lovecraft story, um, I, I gotta say, since we're on the subject of uh, Chaosium and Lovecraft, I've been listening to a another podcast called the HP. Uh, it's HPPodcraft.com, the HP Lovecraft Literary uh, Podcast, and um, it's it's really wonderful. They actually, if you're a Lovecraft fan and you enjoy Chaosium and and some of the uh, the modules that they had to offer for uh, for the Call of Cthulhu system, um, these guys really break it down and um, go through some of the uh, historical, you know, actual bits of of truth that are wedged within the story of historical events that Lovecraft wove into stories and. Uh, Give a bit of the history of uh, of the stories, and in some cases, things that H.P. Lovecraft ghost wrote or co-wrote with with people. So, I kind of recommend that since we're on the uh, the theme of of Cthulhu at this point, or at least I pulled it in that direction. So, um, do you remember when you last played it? Did well, let, let's let, let's take it in this direction. I can't think of an active campaign, ad campaign. We'll we'll, we'll take it there uh, for Call of Cthulhu or Chaosium stuff. Have you seen anything lately? Um, I know one of my coworkers is um, bringing it up. He wants to run something, and there's actually uh. Uh, what is it called? It's called um, Achtung Cthulhu, which I think uses the Cthulhu rules. Oh, no, no, sorry. That one uses Savage rules. Yep. Yeah, that's the only thing I've been... I, so, Call of Cthulhu, I mean, I've heard, I mean, what, 7th edition, I think, is the last one that was done. Um, and I probably last heard about it a few years ago. I mean, people bring it up every now and again, yeah. like, you know, wanting to play it or wanting to revisit it, but no one ever does. Um and the only people I know who thought of revisiting who did ended up going with Octon Cthulhu instead. Okay. Because what would make Cthulhu better? Having Nazis. Because, <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it, it wasn't already hard enough. Ah. <laughs> uh, well, a lot of, I mean, the core of, the core of, H.P. Lovecraft's mythos writing happened in between, well, about ten years after the close of World War II, or I'm sorry, World War One, maybe even fifteen years, and he passed away in thirty-seven. So uh, yeah, like that. Yeah, things were were getting ugly in in Europe, but they hadn't quite escalated um, to the levels that happened later on in the war. But, um, <clears throat> yeah, I, you know, I, I think that you have a couple of things going for it. 
the uh, the Thule society that you know there, there was a great deal of of occult and mysticism and interest by Hitler in that, and then you have the fact that you know the Cthulhu mythos. I mean, knowledge is is power, and it's usually evil power. <laughs> so that just kind of even cements itself probably a little bit closer to Nazis uh, in in people's heads. So I, I, it's a logical step to take, uh, yeah. I think. But I, I would be interested in in playing Octum uh, Cthulhu, and just to see just to see what that's like. And I know that uh, former guest uh, Kenneth Height did some work on that too. So. Mm-hmm. And he actually appears in the HPPodcraft.com. Um, stuff uh, because he is he's regarded as 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 a bit of a HP Lovecraft scholar so yeah a little bit <laughs> <laughs> all right well that's enough of uh, Lovecraft talk for the evening uh, we're gonna move on to uh, galactic gaming news from Ryan Murphy and he is a regular contributor to Galactic Netcasts, and he covers more of the digital beat of gaming, and he has another update for us. So please, take it away, Ryan. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Galactic Gaming News for the week of September 22nd. I'm your host, Ryan Murphy. Let's take a look at the headlines from out of this world. Nintendo has delayed a much-anticipated title. Well, I was anticipating it. Star Fox is coming out in 2016 now. A statement from game designer Shigeru Miyamoto broke the news that Star Fox Zero had been delayed into the first quarter of next year. Here's his statement, and I'll try to read this without screwing up. Although we felt that the development had been progressing well, we now believe that we will need a little more time to work on areas such as the unprecedented discovery that we want players to experience in the game by using two screens and further polishing the level designs and perfecting the tone of the cutscenes. While we have already reached the stage where it would be technically possible to release the title in time for the year end, we want to polish the game a bit more so that players will... Anyways, yeah, what he's saying is like, this is classic Nintendo, classic Miyamoto. A bad game is bad forever. A delayed game is good forever. Like, maybe better. Anyways, uh, I'm fine with them delaying it. I'm sure most people who purchased a Wii U for Super Mario Maker are kind of like, huh, hmm, now what? I don't know. There's lots of, there's a great back catalog, so if you just picked it up, you've got plenty to go. So, anyways. Next up, The Witness has a release date, January 26, 2016, on PC and PlayStation 4. That's when we'll finally be able to check out Jonathan Blow's next game. The diverse locations across the island are on full display in the new trailer just released. Colorful gardens and beaches, crumbled ruins and abandoned laboratories, strange observatories, and underground corridors, all with their own maze-like puzzles to solve. I, for one, never got into Braid, but The Witness looks beautiful and amazing and just a great sit-down-and-relax type game, so I am all in, and you can't go wrong with with a winter game. There's just so much time to kill with all that snow. And you certainly can't do it with shoveling, no, no. Soma, this week's sci-fi release today, September 22nd. On PS4 and PC, Soma is a horror title from Frictional Games, the developers of the Penumbra series, and Amnesia the Dark Descent. The radio is dead, food is running out, and the machines have started to think they are people. 
Underwater facility Pathos 2 has suffered an intolerable isolation and we're going to have to make some tough decisions. What can be done? What makes sense? What is left to fight for? All those questions and probably many more when you play Soma on your desired platform of choice. I, for one, am going to check this game out. I'm not big on horror games, but then I played Until Dawn and I feel like a great story can certainly outweigh the consequences of peeing your pants. Not that I've ever done that while playing a scary game or watching a scary movie. So don't don't read into that. Anyways, yeah, Soma looks really good. It looks like a lot of fun. It's getting great reviews. And if the story is there as well as as well as the scares, I'm all in. That sounds great. This has been Galactic Gaming News, a weekly segment for Galactic Netcasts. I want to qu- quickly remind everybody, a movie adaptation of The Martian, directed by Ridley Scott and starring Matt Damon, is being released October 2nd. Galactic Netcast is celebrating the night before with Andy Weir, the book's author, making his return to our Sci-Fi Geeks Club podcast. Would you also like to be on that episode? Well, have I got an offer for you. Just go to patreon.com slash galacticnetcast and make a minimum pledge of $1 a month to support Galactic Netcast, and you'll be put in a drawing for the chance to be on the panel for that episode of the Sci-Fi Geeks Club with Andy Weir. I'll put a link in the show notes for you to check out. Man, go go become a patron. If you're a huge fan of The Martian, there's really no excuse. Just throw a buck at Galactic Netcast a month and you're entered into a draw and you could you could be on a, a podcast. And if you're listening to this, you are aware of what podcasts are. You could sit on a panel with Andy Weir. That's chance of a lifetime, gotta say. For everything I do, go to ryanmurphy.ca or follow me on Twitter at rmurphy. If you're interested in more video game goodness, be sure to check out the Gamers In at GamersInPodcast.com. Each week, Jocelyn Moffat and I run down the games we've been playing, chat industry news, and take questions or comments from listeners like you. Most recently, we did a spoiler cast for Until Dawn. I mentioned it when we were talking about Soma. It's super spoilery. It's a two-hour spoilery goodness. If you've played Until Dawn, I highly suggest checking it out because we really go into depth of what our choices were. If you haven't played Until Dawn, I highly suggest you don't check it out. Yeah, I'm telling you not to check out Gamers In because that game is worth experiencing. And if you have a PS4, go play Until Dawn. Very good. Anyways, that's all for me this week. Tune in next week when we'll talk about more great sci-fi goodness in video game format. All right. Thanks for the report, Ryan. Appreciate that. Uh, we are going to move on to the Kickstarter spotlight, and we are going to take a look at uh, the last time that we gathered, and uh, we took a week off because my my computer died, and I'm actually limping along here with a Chromebook for this particular uh, meeting of the Adventure Party. But uh, the last time that we spoke, we spoke of Private Die, a noir Dwight. Uh, <laughs> a noir Dwight. Di- yes. <laughs> a noir dice game, uh, which was a relaunch. And, uh, and you brought that uh, to our attention. So why don't you give us just a, a quick recap as to what Private Die, a noir dice game, is all about? All right. Uh, so Private Die, it's two to six players. It's a short game uh, where you have uh, different detectives, you have witness cards, and you have different cases. And you're rolling dice trying to collect clues. 
and the first person to collect 15 or more clues solves the case and wins the crime. Um, they were looking for $3,000 uh, for their goal. Uh, they still have 10 days to go, so I think they're going to get to their get to their funding goal because they're already at $8,975, which is obviously, if you do math, $5,975 over their goal. Yay! So they, yep. they have already gotten there. Uh, you can get a copy of the game for 19 bucks. Uh, should be shipping out May of next year. That'd be 2016 because I expect eventually there'll be so many episodes of the Adventure Party where you'll need to know what year it was filmed or recorded. <laughs> and and uh, they unlocked a uh, bunch of stretch goals. They actually have uh, they unlock components for up to an eighth player. Oh, um, that's wonderful! They upgraded, upgraded the clue uh, clue tokens. They added additional case card. Uh, more witness cards. You get a dice bag with the game. And uh, editable and PDF uh, where you can PDFs. make your own cards. Yeah, yep. that's awesome. Yeah. Why have I not backed this yet? I, you know, I wish Boom. I wasn't. Now I have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wish I wasn't broke right now. Otherwise, I would be. Uh, I feel bad that uh, I didn't. Uh, Drop my money for this last time I had cash. Well, thank God there's 10 days left to go because I get paid again on Friday. So I will have to set myself a reminder, which, boom, there we go. Excellent. All right. So, yeah, this thing is uh, definitely funded. And uh, and because this is a, a relaunch, now, this was out once before, or they are just redoing a Kickstarter that may not have been successful last time. I don't see any information on that. Well, regardless, uh, this looks like a very fun game if uh, the noir genre of film is uh, something that you enjoy. Uh, this would definitely be something for you. This looks like a lot of fun and uh, a great deal of replayability. And uh, and you get a ton of dice. I mean, yeah. every, every person that plays gets their own uh, 5d6 uh, to, to, to roll uh, for their particular characters. And all the different, the, the 45 clue tokens, which can be reused for perhaps a game that you're building. And I know we're going to be talking to somebody fairly soon who is working on a project to do something like Cheap Ass again. So yes. I'm, I'm looking forward to, to speaking to this person again. So, all right. Well, what we're going to do now is we are going to talk about our new Kickstarter that we think that you should be aware of and this really intrigued me. The game is called Clear for Takeoff. And it is a board game that is uh, has been created by, <clears throat> excuse me, a, a Russian gentleman who is a pilot and is licensed to fly a number of planes, including the uh, new Airbus. <laughs> uh, he's licensed for the Boeing 777, 
and uh, he grew up in a family that enjoyed games, and this is not his first rodeo at, at game making. So uh, the video for this game, if you and you'll be able to see the link in the show notes here, he talks a little bit about uh, his history and a little bit about the game, a little bit about gameplay, and the the time period of this. Well, let me just read you the uh, the about this project uh, for this particular game because it's so fascinating. Clear for Takeoff board game was expertly created by an airline pilot teamed with game designers. The game is centered around life at uh, John F. Kennedy Airport in the 60s. You manage one of six airlines, and your goal is to ensure that all of your aircrafts are first to take off successfully. To do this, you must collect cards to place and advance your aircraft towards the takeoff position. Weather permitting, your aircrafts can take off. The weather is always good at the beginning of the game, but this can change as the game progresses as the request, uh, at the request of players, as well as other outside factors. Additionally, you are able to delay other players' aircrafts, and they can delay yours. The player who takes off first wins. Now, this is a, well, not necessarily all ages, but nine and up. It uh, plays two to six people. Gameplay is about uh, uh, 30 to 90 minutes. There are tournament options available. That's kind of interesting. Uh, several different strategies can be used to allow for replayability. Easy to understand with simple rules. Rule translation allows for the game to be used in foreign markets. So there you go. Uh, the game comes with a rulebook board, 144 cards, 34 tokens. And there are different uh, different pledge levels here. Uh, $45 gets you in on the game. Uh, that is the Captain ATR42 pledge. Clear for to uh, takeoff box, tokens included, uh, plus all applicable stretch goals. Shipping is charged after campaign ends, so uh, shipping is uh, extra, and, but it will ship anywhere in the world. And the estimated delivery at this time is December of this year, so that's really cool. Uh, if you do $70 or more, uh, you get the Captain B727 pledge level, Clear for takeoff box, plastic models included. And those plastic models would be uh, of the airplanes themselves. At the $120 level, you get the Captain B747 pledge. Uh, clear for takeoff box, plastic models included. With the Concorde expansion, you get pilot wings and a set of postcards. That is really cool. And you can do the <laughs> pledge at $210 or more, and this is really designed for retailers. You get five clear for takeoff boxes, tokens included, plus all applicable stretch goals. So there you go. Now they do have a number of stretch goals. Uh, 50,000 free shipping. 75,000 new mechanic, which gives the uh, military activity card. 
availability. A hundred thousand uh, new mechanic runway switching card. So it sounds like you get your particular runway in the game, and uh, that's how you take off. You each have your own particular runway. But it sounds like this mechanic might let you jump to somebody else's runway, which is very interesting. Uh, technical assistance card at 125,000. 150,000, you get the new mechanic of emergency card. Not sure what that is. So, and they have different uh, different bonuses for sharing, which is very interesting. At the uh, 1,000 share level, pinup stewardess girl postcard. <laughs> uh, 2,000 pinup passenger girl postcard. They, they see. I, I'm feeling that there's a pattern here. Uh, 3,000 pinup mechanic girl. 4,000 pinup agent girl. <laughs> 5,000 pinup captain girl. Huh, I'm still not sure what the theme is here. Anyways, uh, there's a number of different videos uh, at the bottom of this that really kind of goes over gameplay so you can better understand this game, but it just... It's not... Ju and we've talked about this before. If done properly, you can make a good game out of anything. I mean, hell, we had... Uh, a game about elephant racing. We've had a, a game about making poop cubes for wombats, <laughs> which seemed really cool. Um, so, you know, the, making a game about flying an aircraft in the 1960s, and come on, that just sounds really, really fun. And $45, as we've talked about before, you know, a good game, you're going to be spending, you know, uh, that, that level. Uh, 45 to 55 bucks for a board game for a good quality board game is not uncommon. So there you go. $45 if you pledge to this will get you on board for clear for takeoff. So uh, did you get a chance to take a look at this yet? And what Just are your thoughts? A little bit today. Um, it looks nifty. Um, there are... There are a few other games that deal with a little bit like this because there's one from AEG called it's just something called Planes. Um, this looks a little more in depth than Planes, um, from what I can tell. Um, stretch goals. Um, well, actually, no, it's the share goals. I, I'm a little. I can see those share goals actually possibly turning off some people. Yeah, um, that's a double-edged sword. And, I mean, yes, uh, tabletop gaming is still primarily guys. And, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and say, I don't find women attractive. Because I do. <laughs> but uh, pinups, I don't know. It, it's, it's, it's a hard thing to do to make it where someone's not going to go, oh, you're just trying to market this to 13-year-old boys. Although, looking at the postcard, I mean, they're not like, graphically obscene or anything but no it's um, very it looks and these are drawn these and are drawn it, so and, and it very the outfits are very much in the style of of 60s type attire so you get a, a sneak peek at the stewardess girl and she's wearing the gloves wearing the hat and wearing uh, the outfit that is typical of the time 
Uh, I doubt that you're yeah. you're not going to see anybody in a bikini in this or anything like that. Well, I mean, it's, at least from that one, I mean, it, it at least fits the time period. Yeah. Um, where I mean, yeah, like flight attendants were actually stewardesses back then. Yeah. Um, there were, there's no way a company could get away with the hiring standards they had back then. <laughs> no, no, not even a little bit. Oh, you're size two. You're much too fat to be. A yeah, size. yeah. <laughs> Unless, of course, you know everything over the size two is in your chest. Then that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> yep. Just make sure you smoke and drink lots of alcohol while flying. Ah. <laughs> uh... As was the fashion of the time, yes. <laughs> All right, uh, yes. So their uh, overall goal, they're looking to reach twenty-five thousand dollars, and with thirty-one days to go at this moment in time, uh, they're at six thousand nine hundred and thirty-seven. So, um, it's potentially doable. I don't know if they started off at. 59 days or anything like that, 60 days, but um, yeah, they need to reach goal and the, uh, the funding drive ends, <clears throat> excuse me, Thursday, October 29th, so at 2 p.m. Central Daylight, so there you go. Well, we wish them luck, and uh, boy, if you're interested in a a period board game uh, that comes from the 60s, and you're interested in aeronautics, this definitely may be for you. So, all right, we're going to move on with our discussion about movies that feel like they could have come out of gaming sessions. What was our criteria for this? Uh, no genre was off-limits. Uh, fantasy, cyberpunk, film noir, uh, superhero genre, uh, supernatural, uh, horror, anything. And uh, I think we've come up with uh, eight. Yeah, I'm looking at this. We've got about eight. Nine. Oh, nine. I'm just, I'm just one. I need to all oh, see. There you go. Yep. That's not what it is. I don't know what a flacking is. I don't, but I fixed it. <laughs> Thank you. Google. All right. Um, gosh, see, now I want to. Oh, actually, I do have one. If that's going where I think it's going. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Okay. I'm sure you enjoyed that little pause while we were doing things that you couldn't see. Uh, but that said, you're going to partake in this part of the discussion. Uh, we have now ten items that we will be discussing of films that we feel could have come uh, from a RPG session, or uh, if they did not, they could be primers for an idea for you to use in your particular setting. And like I said, we they aren't genre-specific. They are not all fantasy. Uh, would, uh, would you like to start, Glenn, or should I? Go ahead, Brad. Okay. My first pick... Uh, actually, this movie, I I've seen only parts of it. But what I've seen and what I know of 
it's it's actually based on uh, a classic tale of uh, two lovers who were cursed to never be able to um, be with each other. Uh, by day, one is a hawk, and by night, uh, oh God, what is the other? He's a wolf. He's a wolf. That's right. Um, so the two of them can never really be together. And that movie is a Matthew Broderick vehicle uh, with uh, Michelle Pfeiffer and Rutger Hauer. Very interesting combination there. And that movie is called Lady Hawk. So uh, very much a uh, fantasy setting that um, has an epic tale of questing to kind of bring two people back together. And uh, this really felt like something that could come out of... I don't know. I, I don't... I, I, I don't think necessarily a and d session. Maybe another game system. Um, Iris Magica or something along those lines, possibly. Yeah. A little bit more... I don't know. So something that would obviously focus much more on storytelling than on go hit things with a sword. Yeah, definitely. Um, what are your thoughts on... Lady Hawk, Glenn. You being a movie reviewer, this is right up your alley. I've never seen Lady Hawk. Really? Okay. No, of course not. I've I've seen this movie many, many times. <laughs> I'm lying. I'm lying. Stop to you. it. See, I, I don't have my dual monitor set up like I normally do with my other computer, so I couldn't yes. see your face and tell if you were lying. <laughs> no, um, I I'm a big fan of Lady Hawk. Um, and I mean, partly is you know I'm I'm a Rutger Hauer fan. Um. And just, I like the overall story. This is, it's, it's more uh, fairy tale than uh, most people I think were expecting. You know, it's, you know, yeah. people weren't yeah. expecting the type of story they got out of this, which is, it's a romance, you know, and it's, it's that kind of, you know, uh, yearning for love or lost love, you know, that is going on. And it's, it's, it's almost kind of like a Sleeping Beauty or a Cinderella type story. We've got, you know, the, the evil curse, you know, and of course they have to fight to break it, except this time there's this, you know, thief who's along for the ride who actually uh, does a lot of the stuff to help break the spell, as it were. Um, this is, uh, it actually did serve as fodder for uh, part of a game I ran back in uh, grade school. Um, oh. <laughs> kind of the same, yeah. same type of thing where they had uh, it was two star-crossed lovers who could never meet, but then the the players had to you know basically find a way to undo the curse. Except obviously it was more than just Matthew Broderick. There were three Matthew Brodericks in my game. Now this Lady Hawk is actually based on a 12th century French story. Uh. Boy, I'm just doing a little little checking here. Uh, Bliss uh, Bis Clarivet is a happily married baron and knight of Brittany who disappears for three days each week. Uh, when pressed by his wife, he admits that he goes hunting in wolf form. She becomes upset about this and betrays him, taking another knight as her lover and including inducing him to steal 
uh, Bisclairvet's clothes so he can't resume human form. Eventually the wolf becomes a companion of the king and while at court has the opportunity to attack both his rival and his former wife. The wife is forced to admit her actions and return Bisclavert's clothing, whereupon he is restored to human form. Interesting. And probably because of the 12th century, they didn't divorce because that'd be wrong. Oh, absolutely. So, you know, live with the woman who, you know, yeah. well, she, wanted she, to eat your wolf and she her probably, live with the man who tried to eat her as a wolf. Yeah. She would probably have been burned in the 12th century had she asked for a divorce. Gosh, what a young-looking Matthew Broderick. Yes. Wow. Ah, to be that young again. Yeah, it is definitely a, a wonderful classic story that uh, from the 80s uh, that uh, I, I need to now see in its entirety. I've, I've only caught it a few times like when I've been in the middle of something. Um, but uh, I suppose nowadays there's really no excuse because of the internets. So uh, I'm going to move on to my next choice and I'm jumping genres here by going to uh, Cyberpunk. And this is the movie that I said earlier on that was pretty universally panned. Uh, which is sad, and I know why it was panned. It's because the ending is is kind of crap. Um, and that movie is a... Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> right? it was... It's actually uh, Gibson-inspired, and I think he had a hand in it. Uh, by Gibson, I mean William Gibson, the, uh, the man who gave us the great gift called Neuromancer. Uh, that movie is called Johnny Mnemonic. Now, the interesting thing about Johnny Mnemonic is I think at the point when this had come out, I had played Cyberpunk 2020 and and Shadowrun. And because this takes place in the future, uh, brief rundown, a, um, a gentleman who uh, his job is he's got he's got a data slot in his head and his job is he shuttles data four people. His job is not to look at the data. He asks no questions except how much are you paying me? And he slots a chip into his head, downloads the data, takes it to where it needs to go, and they download the data and the transaction is done. Now, this movie was, oh gosh, I want to say 96, 90... Uh, 95, actually. 95. Yep. And, uh, you know, I, I saw this movie and I remember seeing The Matrix and I go, see, now, <laughs> this is how you do that, that genre just a little bit better. Um, yeah, Johnny is a data courier, like I said. Uh, I think now that that movie... Now that computers are storing so much more, I think the amount of storage in his head is now laughable by today's standards. Yes. <laughs> uh, Johnny ends up getting stuck with having data put into his head, which is more than he can technically hold, and it actually starts to degrade his brain. It is slowly killing him, and the data that he has in his head is actually incredibly dangerous for the status quo. Now, the great thing about this, speaking of Rutger Hauer, 
Uh, this movie gives us a return of Dolph Lundgren, who plays <sighs> priest. He plays, preacher. yeah, he plays a street preacher who is, he has cyberpsychosis. In other words, he has been, he had a, he had a job previously, and I, he was a mercenary, I think, or a street samurai, and he had so much of himself replaced with robotic hardware that he went crazy, and he ends up becoming like a street preacher and like a major badass <laughs> and he is hired to uh take out Johnny and uh the scene as to where the priest actually gets like knocked down and set on fire <laughs> and there's like barely anything human left of him at all was just really creepy and we also get Henry Rollins as a doctor and iced tea and iced tea yes and Jonesy, the cyber dolphin. <sighs> Anyways, uh, there were a lot of elements in it that when I watched it, I went, oh, there's there's a monofilament sword or something like that. Um, you get a lot of the things that were, were taken out of either Cyberpunk or Shadowrun, and it was truly, as a game player watching that movie, thinking, oh, wow. You know, I could see that being an actual game uh, that somebody that somebody played or could play. Uh, what are your thoughts about Johnny Mnemonic? <laughs> um, uh, there's parts of it I liked, and, and part of it was it was the fans that was given to people who were big cyberpunk fans and who would recognize things like, oh yeah, monofilament cable and. And different things like that, um, or cyber, you know, knowing what cyber psychosis is. Um, I think uh, Keanu was not the best choice to play the lead role in this. Um, although, if it was the Keanu that was in John Wick, it would have been much better, but it was not. This is more Bill and Ted Keanu than it is uh, one that you can really take seriously. Um, and I think part of its failure, too, is it just, while Gibson was the writer of the screenplay, I have a feeling there was a lot of <laughs> studio involvement or possibly director involvement as well to change things up. And I mean, I'm speculating on that. I don't know for sure. I mean, the fact that uh, the guy who directed this, I mean, his biggest directing gig to date before that was one episode of Tales from the Crypt three years earlier. And then he did a couple of music videos, one for R.E.M., one for New Order. <laughs> so, yeah, um, I don't know how much of the of the actual what we saw was Gibson's intent. Yeah. Um, well, just ask Frank Miller about RoboCop Three. Yeah, <laughs> he's in the same boat there. But I mean, yeah, like I said, I mean, they they, they give you know some fan service to some of the stuff from cyberpunk. I mean, you've got the street doc who is uh, Henry Rollins yep. and you know, you've got all those different little things in there that, that are still, that still catch with you. If you've played these games, if you've read these books and, you know, I mean, figure when this came out too, uh, cyberpunk was still a very, uh, to most people, a lot of people unknown uh, genre. I mean, you didn't have as anywhere near the number yeah. of authors you have now. Yeah. Um, you, yep. know, you had pretty much you had Gibson and you had uh, 
Sterling. I don't even know. I don't even know if Stevenson was was doing back then. It's yeah, still, if I was Snow gonna, Crash was out back then or not? I was going to throw know. out his name. Oh yeah, it, it, it came out a couple of years before. Okay. So, but I mean, even still, a lot of people, you know, it was still fairly new. And I mean, you know, computers were not anywhere near where we where we are now, and the internet was not what it is now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this was this was still. I think '95 we were just past you know the BBS or yeah, where you, yep. you were just starting to get into you know where you'd have the bare bones of what you see is the World Wide Web now. Yeah. You know you have web pages and stuff like that, but um, so I mean you know a lot of this stuff it was it was fresh territory for a lot of people. I think that's part of what made it tank is that it was something that a lot of people didn't understand. Yeah, I you know I really feel looking back. Of course, hindsight is always twenty twenty. I think that Johnny Mnemonic would be better today than it would at the time that it came out. Sure. Um. With with definitely some tweaks, because you know if you think about it, Fifth Element came out around this time too, and that. Granted, it's not necessarily cyberpunk, but um, it dealt with some themes. Uh, well, some well, some similar themes, I think, um, but it did it so much more elegantly. Um, and yeah, I Keanu Reeves' acting felt a little stiff. There were times when I think that he was trying to deliver funny lines, and I don't know if it was a particular edit or the particular take, but it just didn't, it didn't, it fell flat. So, all right. Um, my next choice is the, you know, I'm going to go with the Mission Impossible series, so pick your Mission Impossible movie. And especially the... You know, especially, I would say, <clears throat> this most recent film, Mission Impossible, this would be the fifth one, Rogue Nation. I really, I got a chance to play, uh, what was it, uh, Top Secret, the TSR spy game. And I think we've talked about that before. But a really well done Top Secret game, I think, could really... I'm trying to think of other other game systems that approach or are very suited to the spy genre. I mean, well, we talked to Kenneth Height and uh, the Dracula dossier, uh, which is based on um, Knight's Black Agents, mm-hmm. um, which is... Uh, spy-related, but with a supernatural bent. So I guess it doesn't... Mm, it has the spy theme at least, but it's not a straight spy system. Can you think of any other systems besides... And of course, I, I'm i not sure you can... Spycraft and 20 Modern. Okay. Because I'm not sure you can find Top Secret. You might be able to find a copy of it out on the internet somewhere. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm hard pressed to. The thing that really, uh, the thing I really remember from Top Secret is the whole section on gadgets, and 
yes, you could make the argument that any James Bond film would, would fall under this category, but to me, in watching Rogue Nation, I was, they have like cell phones that um, you, you push a button on it and it flips out sort of a, like a key blank sort of a thing, and you can see on the screen as it's adjusting the particular rod that you stick into the lock as it's sort of x-raying the lock and hitting the, the, the tumblers right on the, the, the pins for the tumblers and watching that whole mechanic go on and that just really felt like something that would be a device that you would have found in the catalog for Top Secret. Um, it sounds like you're doing a search. Are you finding anything else that might... No, not really. I was trying to see if I could find a copy of Top Secret. <laughs> uh, it was a fun game to play, but it was sad. I it didn't count of it. Yeah, it didn't really, didn't really catch and hold, unfortunately. Yeah, that's a shame. Um, all right. Uh, next up, I'm going to go with a film that, again, I. It's sad that it really didn't. And and again, it's another Keanu Reeves film. Uh, we're kind of jumping to the sort of supernatural hero genre, if if that is technically a genre. It's definitely a, a it's not really a hero film either. It's a hard one to quantify, but I'm going to go with Constantine. <laughs> uh, you know, you had for those of you who aren't familiar with the comic book, <clears throat> in the comics, John Constantine is a platinum blonde-haired uh, British dabbler in magic uh, who has wheeled and dealed and taken many a chance and at one point in time his soul was sold to two different uh, demons in hell and uh, he kind of set it up so that they couldn't take him because they would have had to fight over his soul and it would have not worked out well for anybody. So... Um, in the movie, uh, he is an American, uh, played by uh, Keanu Reeves. But, the, you know, I look at this, if I can, what I do to watch this film, and I do enjoy it, but I view it as like an Elseworlds story. You know, it's like, okay, yes, it's this John Constantine, but he actually came from America, and Chaz is a uh, teenager. <laughs> As opposed to his uh, chum, who is his uh, same age. Um, so yeah, there are a lot of things that aren't like the comic book, but I close my eyes and pretend it's Elseworlds and, and move forward. But it kind of reminded me a bit of the setting for uh, White Wolf's... Um... <sighs> Crap... Uh, Hunter. That's what it was. Hunter the Apocalypse. Okay. <clears throat> Which, in... Now, I, I've spoken before of the Hunter's Hunted, which is... Uh, let's not confuse this. Hunter's Hunted is sort of a subgenre of... It was kind of a spin-off of the vampire game where everybody is hunting mostly vampires, but it kind of expanded to hunting the supernatural in general. The hunter game, these are people who 
have been awakened to the fact that there are angels and there are demons and we are in the final days of it's the end times essentially and these two factions are fighting for the earth and uh, to find out who who wins ultimately <clears throat> and that's really kind of the theme of the Constantine movie um, we've got somebody who's trying to speed things along and finish up uh, the the end game essentially and uh, the ending of that movie just <sighs> what John does at the end to try to stop everything was just it made me giggle I can't remember the name of the actor who plays the devil but he plays the oh, devil Peter Stormer. oh god his portrayal of the devil is so I, I read it right up there with Viggo Mortensen in in prophecy. <laughs> It is so creepy and mildly disturbing and just a pleasure to watch. Just a pleasure. There were, there were actually some really good... I'm not a huge fan of this movie, but I will admit that there was some great performances. I love yeah. Peter Stormare as Satan. I love Tilda Swinton yeah. as Gabriel. Yep. Um, uh, Juman, I'm pronouncing it, Juman Hunsu. As uh, Papa Midnight. Papa Midnight, yep. Um, though I have to give props, I love the guy who played Papa Midnight in the series. <laughs> yes, uh, far more, uh, far closer to the actual comic book portrayal yes. of Papa Midnight. That's for sure. Um, and I mean, part part of my dislike is that I could not, I could not view it differently like you did. Um, I at the time this movie came out, I was neck deep in Hellblazer comics. Yeah. I yeah. I had gone out and I got as many trades and packages as I could find and I was just I read it was the one thing that I had to read every month when it came out. I had to read Hellblazer. Um and I it just yeah, just Kenna was just he was so different from the from the Constantine I knew and it was hard for me to separate the two. Yeah. And this perhaps I could go back and rewatch it. Because um, I've gotten better at being able to do that, um, unless it's a Will Smith movie made off a book. Because those are why? Why, why even give it that title? Why yeah. give it a, just just call it Will Smith does something? Because that's all it ever is. It's never what it's based on. Um, <laughs> but this one, yeah, and I mean, a lot of the different changes. You know, I mean, yeah, Chaz being a teenager, and I mean, I remember when this movie was first announced, and. Mind you, this was, I was getting my information uh, via, you know, like, chat groups and discussion boards. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't have any cool news and, you know, BuzzFeed and all that stuff. Yeah. And the biggest fear was, is like, you know they're going to make him American. Yeah. And we're like, no, oh, no, they can't do that. Why would they do that? It's like, he's English. How hard is it in English? But Hollywood for a long time has had this fear, and it, they've gotten a little better at it now, but... Yeah. It's still that thing of that everything has to be Americanized. Otherwise, apparently Americans can't relate to it. I think that at the time that Constantine came out, let me just double check my facts before. Were we at war with England at that time? Is that why? Yes. <laughs> Back in my day. Was that the war uh, of 1812 and 2005? <laughs> 
No. Uh, okay, that came out in 2005, and Iron Man wouldn't come out until 2007. Yeah. I think I'm, I'm, I'm going to lay this out here. The superhero genre film didn't really catch fire until Iron Man. So they were less apt to take chances. They were more apt to futz with the core material, not thinking that the geek dollar would be as strong as it is. Maybe, but I mean, this was a year after Hellboy. As much as I like Hellboy, that was not a raving success in the box office. It did well, but I don't think... It's still viewed, I think, as a... the core. Your core characters are covered in makeup. Do you know what I'm yeah. saying? It's it, And even then, they kind of played with some things. Um, but I don't think that they really... I don't think that they gave it the latitude that they give it nowadays. Oh, I think, no. yeah, not you know, at all. the fact that uh, Matt Ryan, who is the current English gentleman to portray Constantine, at least uh, in the Constantine series, and he will be appearing in, I think it's episode four or five of Arrow. Um, and oh god, he was just—he was wonderful as Constantine, and, and for my money, that just his portrayal was about not quite as gritty as it is in the comics, but probably as close as we're going to get in a TV portrayal. Yeah. But I think if he was given the latitude, he could—he could do the grit. He could definitely pull it off. He'd do very well at it. Um. I think nowadays, if you—if we were to have Constantine as a film again, he would most certainly be British. Um, and actually, you know, come to think of it, we've got a lot of British stars who uh, are portraying superheroes. We've got uh, Haley Atwell. We've got Andrew Garfield, who has been Spider-Man. We've got uh, Tom Holland, who is the next new Spider-Man. He's British as well. Um, you know, we've we've had a number of actors who are British who have been hired for for superhero films. And granted, they're doing American accents, but you know, drop the accent. I mean, I don't think that the fear is there anymore. I think that they're more apt to be truer to core material than they were back in the day. So, all right, enough rambling about Constantine. I'm going to move to my fifth and final, which is Mystery Men. I love the hell out of that film. Um, saw it in the theater. <clears throat> I own it, and I've watched it multiple times because it is the quirkiest. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, for Constantine, uh, we didn't really come up with a with an RPG system. Um, no, that's uh, White Wolf Hunter. Yeah. I, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hunter, you're right. Uh, so we did. Okay. Uh, Mystery Men um, is a Ben Stiller vehicle. <laughs> uh, comic book film again based on um, it was a spinoff of Flaming Carrot actually and these are heroes that as I recall die uh, quite often in the comic they have kind of a rotating <clears throat> bunch of characters that uh, 
that are a part of the Mystery Men. Um, a very quirky film, if you haven't seen it. Gosh, Mystery Men came out, I want to say, in 98, nine, no, 99. Um, just want to check my date. Yeah, it came out in 99. And uh, Janine Garofalo, Ben Stiller, um, William, <laughs> William H. Macy, uh, Hank Azaria, Good God, the people, Paul Rubens, they had a wonderful cast. Jeffrey Rush is the bad guy, Greg Kinnear, a great cast. And sadly, it did not do well in the box office at all, and that's a tragedy. And again, I think it's a film that came out too soon. Um, that said, I hope they don't ever get a bug up their butts to, to remake the film. Because uh, I think it's good the way it is. Um, this kind of felt to me like, um, oh, what system are we playing for that? Uh, oh, we're playing uh, Champions. And uh, for those of you who are gamers and comic book folk, there is a team called the Great Lakes Avengers. And uh, they are people from the Midwest who have superpowered abilities, uh, but they are not very good superpowered abilities. You have uh, Doorman, who basically, uh, when he he can uh, kind of somewhat phase into a a wall, and people can pass through him. So he is literally a man who is a door. Uh, you have uh, Thumbelina, who is a gorgeous supermodel whose ability is to adjust her mass and become somebody who is uh, probably a good 600 pounds. Um, is that her name, Thumbelina? I think so. Uh, see, that's what happens when you try to do everything from memory. Uh, uh, was, wasn't it Big Bertha? Big Bertha, thank you. Uh, yeah. Dinosaur. Yep, Flatman. <laughs> uh, yep, Mr. Immortal, whose ability is to... He dies, and he, like, resurrects in five minutes. Um, <laughs> and, Deadpool uh, slept on their couch for a while. Yep. Uh, their first appearance was in the comics is uh, 1989. Now, Mystery Men, as a comic... Uh, See, that's the movie. Ugh. That's not what I wanted. The internet has failed me. <laughs> there we go. Okay. You want to go back in the bag? Is that how we're going to play this? <laughs> okay. The, there, the Mystery Men first appeared in 1987. So uh, they sort of predate the Great Lakes Avengers, which makes me kind of wonder, and there's always some back and forth in the world of comics uh, <laughs> as to uh, yeah, as to <clears throat> where characters and ideas kind of come from. Anyways, back to the Mystery Men. 
Uh, yeah, their first appearance was in Flaming Carrot number 16 from Renegade Press in 1987. Uh, yeah, and they did grab some characters from the comic book and put them in the movie. Very interesting. But anyways, uh, for the game system that we're playing, which is Great Lakes Avengers meets sort of Mystery Men, although none of us have, have perished yet, um, we use Champions, which is um, basically, I think we're using Hero, Hero version 6, the Hero, yeah, the Hero system. <clears throat> and, uh, yeah, it's, it's a very quirky, interesting sort of setup. Um, the villains are, uh, I think we ran into a villain called the Brown Note. Uh, my character is uh, a hero called the Prestidigitator, and he's uh, basically uh, Orpheus from uh, from Venture Brothers, uh, done more as a stage magician, <clears throat> who has a magic hat that pulls things out of it. He's, yeah, he's sort of like uh, what is it, Presto from Dungeons and Dragons meets Orpheus. <laughs> Um, uh, what is it? We've got a, a villain called the Killer Mime, I believe is his name. Uh, Rob Benton is running, and he's uh he was our second guest on the show. Second, yeah, second guest. And uh, yeah, that's a game that came from his brain, and uh, very easily something that could have come from one of our sessions uh, that we played uh, playing the uh, champions system so all right that's enough rambling about my five picks uh what are your picks glenn all right um i'm going to start off with the movie that i think feels like the most quintessential D game out there and that is hawk the slayer have you seen hawk the slayer i have never jack palance Jack Palance as the villain, overacting <laughs> his way through every scene. Oh. Um, this movie, I mean, it's definitely a thing. It came out in 1980. The soundtrack is like all synthesizers and stuff like that. Um, but I love this film because you have... So you have the main character, Hawk, um, and his uh, basically evil brother, Voltan, played by Jack Palance. They do not see eye to eye. Voltan is a villain who wants to, you know, enslave people and be bad. Um, Hawk's just a, a good guy loner who has to uh, help rescue this nun that Voltan has taken captive. And he has to recruit a party to do it. Um, he's actually recruited by another guy um, who, his name I cannot remember, but the dude, had, oh, Ranulf, who actually has like a like an auto crossbow. Fires like these dark fast. But the, the crew they get, they they recruit recruit Gort, who's a giant. Um they recruit Crow the Elf and Balden the Dwarf. So you've got this like perfect kind of like D D group. So you know Gort's basically like a big barbarian. Uh the dwarf is kind of like the thief. The Crow the Elf is he's an archer. Um and it's just, and you know, Hawk is the all-around leader, you know, warrior-type guy. And it's just a lot of fun. I mean, it's definitely 
a B movie. I mean, uh, when this was made, you know, 1980, you know, and it, it's not, there's not like tons of great special effects because it was 1980. They didn't have a huge budget. Um, but, I, you know, it just, it feels so much like a D&D game because it's the fact that it's the gathering the party and then it's the going on the quest and it's, you know, facing off against, you know, different bad guys. And, you know, it, it's, it's just so perfect in those regards. Um, because he has, you know, he has requests for every one of the companions to get him to come with him. And you should know, get a little bit of backstory on these, on some of these people. Not a lot, but a little bit. Um, and they're actually working on a sequel now. <laughs> 30, 35 years later. later um, and this movie, it, it's one of those great movies, too, where it made great use of matte paintings. Oh, nice. Castle <laughs> or the, you know, the stuff in the, you know, in the distance, it was matte paintings. Sure. Um, which was a big thing back then because, you know, if you didn't have the money, you didn't make these huge sets and you couldn't no, afford to, you know, God, no. just fly over to Yugoslavia and film, you know, on location, you know, and over there. Um, so you, you made do with what you had. Well, uh, matte paintings were used in God, so many films. I mean, oh, yeah. the Star Wars series used it. I, it's just, it's what you did. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's a movie that's, you know, just been... One of one of my favorites for a long, long time. I revisit it every now and again. I mean, the guy who plays uh, Hawk the Slayer, I mean, he was Christian in Shepherd and Lost. If you watched Lost at all, um, so I mean, he's he's still doing tons of stuff. He was in Twenty Four. He was in Las Vegas series. He's done a lot of TV stuff, a ton of TV stuff. He was on ER for a while. Um, yeah, just, you know, tons and tons and tons of stuff. Um, he's been acting, you know, he's... Well, he hasn't done anything for two years. But he was doing stuff <laughs> up till up till two years ago. Um, and just, uh, you know, I mean, so you, I mean, you have some people in it who have, who have had careers. So it's not like, you know, these were nobody. I mean, Jack Palance, who did tons of B-movies throughout his career, as well as other stuff. Um, Bernard Breslau plays the giant. Who also he played the uh, um, the Cyclops in Crawl, and he's just been in a but he's just a big guy, so he's you know anytime there's a big guy role, he was kind of the guy back then. If it was any you need a big British guy, he's your man. And Jack Palance just plays a great villain. Yeah, well, that's he's such a I'm badass sorry. anyway. Vladimir Palunik, <laughs> as, his, as his birth name is, or was because he has passed on. But yeah, Hawk the Slayer. It's 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 such a D and D game brought to life, um, and really, in, you know, the very early days of D and D as well. Yeah, sure, absolutely. And I'm going to use that to transition into the other fantasy one that I have, which is the Sword and the Sorcerer, <laughs> which came out two years later. Also oh. came out the same year as Conan, released by the same studio as Conan. Um. And this one is, again, it's uh, the hero has to rescue uh, rescue this princess and depose this evil king who is, un, you know, is, you know, claimed the throne that wasn't his and actually all this type of stuff. And the thing about this one is that, um, well, first of all, the hero is played by Lee Horsley. 
who was TV's Matt Houston. He was TV's Matt Houston. Yes, Matt <laughs> Houston. But who has recently been in Jane One Chained. He's going to yeah. be in April 8. So he's still doing stuff as well. But um, anyway, when he made this, I mean, Lee Horsley was not a tiny name. He was like huge, but he was a known actor. Um, you know, a, you know, not huge, but known. Um, he didn't been on the love boat, man. Um, <laughs> and this movie, what really sold this one is the fact that this movie had anyone who saw it, if they played D and D, wanted the sword he had, because he had this three bladed sword, <laughs> and the blades shot out of it. Yeah, I'm looking at the picture of the sword, and that's oh, it's. Hugely impractical. <laughs> yeah. But, it looks like know, it's a Frazetta I mean, cover on that. What's that? Looks like, uh, looking at the, the movie poster, it looks like it's Frazetta almost. Yeah, well, like I said, it's the same same studio they released Conan in the same year. Oh, sure, yeah. Uh, it, just, it, did not have, it did not have the budget that Conan did. Yeah. Um, not that it didn't, it wasn't well made. I mean, I think for, for what it was, you know, I mean, You've got castles, you've got guys in armor and swords and stuff like that. Um, and I just, you know, it's it's just a fun little movie where, again, he has to, he, he gets people who he recruits to help him. And it's the fact, you know, it's that whole thing of the, um, it's one of the things I like in these types of movies is that it's not so much as simply, you've got movies like a lot of, you'll see like a lot of the, the Jason Statham things where it's him. He's the hero. Arnold Schwarzenegger is the hero. And there's really no one else. There might be like a guy who goes like, hey, Arnold, here's keys to your car. And that's the most help he gets. Um, <laughs> and these ones, it's like, yeah, the hero is he's the big, big main guy, but he doesn't do it all alone. He's, he's, he needs he needs his support crew. You know, he you know, they need their their guys who can pick the locks, the people who can get the information, the people who, you know, the other fighters to help him because he can't fight everyone himself. Um and it's just it's a it's a good thing because they're, I mean they're mercenaries, and that's kind of what adventurers really are in in D and D. You're mercenaries. That's what you yeah. are. No, very. You know, true. I mean, there's very very few games where you're not really a mercenary. I mean, you may not call yourself. Well, no, I'm an adventurer. Right? It's like you will go where people are paying you, for the most part. Um, <laughs> you might have a little bit of morals, you know, when it comes to okay, I won't take your money to burn down the orphanage. Some players would, but. Um, and I've been just waiting for the, you know, in the credits, it said, watch for Talents to Adventure, Tales of the Ancient Empire coming soon. And it, I'm starting to think it's not coming out because it's been 33 years. But <laughs> I, I'm still holding out hope that we're going to get uh, uh, Sword and the Sorcerer 2. Well, I keep... Horsley's a little old, so I might have to have someone else play him. But I keep, I keep waiting for the follow-up to Buckaroo Banzai. Yes. And you have Richard Mall in this, uh, who plays uh, Zusha, I believe is the name, the kind of demon sorcerer guy. Uh, Richard Lynch, who is another just guy who plays plays a great villain in so many movies. Um, tons of movies. He plays a villain. That's and just, you know, it's another one of my, you know, it's one of those things from, you know, again, this is the 80s. This is when I was, you know, I was still, I was early years of grade school. I was playing D&D. You know, I was, by this point, I was four years into playing Dungeons and Dragons, mostly with just my one friend, Pat. <laughs> uh, 
but uh, yeah, and these are just those movies that just it just screams so much of the games I was playing. These were the movies that were them. As much as I loved Conan, Conan didn't feel as much like a DV campaign to me because he was still, even though he had he had uh, the woman and the, the little uh, super there guy, the little Asian dude who was with him, and then the wizard. It wasn't. It didn't quite feel as as much of that because that was still kind of the one man's quest. Yeah. Yep. Um, and you haven't seen either of those, have you? No. Nope. Oh man. Well, we'll go on to my next one. Have you seen Blade Two? It's my least favorite of the three. It's not one of my favorites either, but I think it it gave me fodder for a vampire uh, campaign that we were running, where the players were. Uh, they were vampire vampire hunters. Um, they they worked for the for the masquerade and they hunted down the sabbat and stuff like that. Sure. And I use this as one time where they actually had to team up with uh, some sabbat vampires, which is pretty much what Blade Two is. He has to team up with some of the bad guys, you know, the vampires he hates, uh, to go take care of these new vampires that faces split open and you know. You know, they are all kind of predator alien esque like. Um Yeah. Um and yeah, it's it's not one of my it's my it is my least favorite of the three, but it's the one that feels like uh, a campaign. Because again, you've got the party and it's and this time you have reluctant uh reluctant partnership. Um it's kind of Ron Perlman, so I I have to just I bump it up a star just for that. And it also has Norman Reedus, uh from who's Boondock Saints and The Walking Dead, Daryl Dixon. So it does. What character yeah. did he play? Scud. Oh man! See now, I have to suck it up and watch it again. You do. You really do. Um. And yeah, it's it's just it's one of those ones that I you know I like it because of the fact that it's the unlikely allies, which is a, a trope I have used numerous times over my over the years of running games where you have to there are the alliances you make that are with people you don't trust uh but you know that you need them to accomplish your goal because you can't do it on your own um and that's what this this whole movie is it's that can't do it on your own and the fact that he's right to not trust them yeah absolutely because that's the thing is you know it's obvious they're bad. As soon as your usefulness is done, they will try to kill you. And in that movie, I mean, the people he teams up with was a team of people who were trained to kill him. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it, it, it worked well as fodder for that type of campaign. And again, I just said, you know, I, I like the whole unlikely allies thing. Um, or not even unlikely, just the, you know, completely, no, I won't. <laughs> they're the bad guys. Yeah, the people yeah, that. But there's a worse guy out there now. It's like, you know, it's like we teamed up with Stalin in World War II to take out Hitler. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, if Patton had his way, we would have, we would have you know, all right, now let's rearm the Germans and take yeah. out Stalin because he's let's a nut job. Going. Yep. <laughs> But yeah, so that's that's why I feel that this one uh, fits well within that that genre. 
Nice. Moving on. Yeah. To a movie that I actually loved, and a lot of people panned it, and I think a lot of people panned it. I I think a lot of them, first of all, didn't watch it. They panned it because they saw the poster or the trailer, and they dismissed it as a misogynistic jerk-off fest. Yeah. And the other ones who didn't like, a lot of the other ones who didn't like it didn't understand it. They looked at simply the surface and looked at nothing else going on and just took it as, as what it was on the surface, which was just a bunch of pretty pictures. But there's a deeper story in it, and I'm talking about Sucker Punch. Um, have you seen, you've seen Sucker Punch? I have. And okay. to me... You know, one other movie I'm gonna I'm gonna lay this out here, and I'm, uh, Jennifer's Body I think is an incredible horror film, and it it, it I'm taking this somewhere. Trust me. Well, to do. me, to me, Jennifer's Body. If you weren't paying attention to the whole film and all the little clues that were dropped throughout, you didn't realize that the whole it was never about Jennifer. None of it. Jennifer. No, it's all about... Uh, it's all about Needy. Yeah. It was all about corrupting Needy. And to me, Sucker Punch is the same way because we... Spoiler. Uh, you know, we were following one person and yep. at the end of the film, it turns out we never... That wasn't the whole purpose of the thing. You know, we we move on to somebody else, and it was pretty much to save this other person. And it was a very, very interesting film. It was a very interesting look at ways people mentally try to protect themselves when they're put in really horrible situations Mm -hmm. um, and kind of creating fantasy because it's far better than what reality actually is. And yeah, it's it's really more of a psychological. Boy, help me out here. It, it's more of a tale of the person's mind's defenses, I think, in trying yeah. to deal with reality when everything is not right with the world at all. Absolutely, and and plus now, this game. If 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 I were to run this type of thing in a game. This would be like riffs. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Because you're all over the place. I mean, you've got, you've got like World War One era like Germans, uh, with a giant freaking mech robot. You've got uh, like a B seventeen bomber attacking orcs in a castle. Um, and dragons. Yeah, and dragons. It's all over the place. Um, which is one of the things I love. It's it's, it's that you know it's this terror escapist, fantasy of 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 baby doll. Um, and then that's, you know, that's the big thing is, is, you know, this is in, in the imagination, you know, I mean, anything is possible. So you can have orcs and machine guns and you can have that, you know, that mix of stuff. Um, and it's just, I think, I think one, I think it's a highly underrated movie. And I mean, part of it is Zack Snyder makes things that are very, very slick and very pretty to look at Yeah. as far as the cinematography, as far as, you know, the images he uses and, you know, I mean, there's not a deep story behind um, 300. No. And a lot no. of his, a lot of his other films. And this one, I think people weren't looking for any story because they're like, it's Zack Snyder. I saw a trailer that had orcs and machine guns, 
and a girl in the Asian schoolgirl with a sword. That's what I'm going to see. And they didn't realize that there was this story going on with it. Um, and and just to say simply that this would be riffs, it's only because that's I, I can't think of there aren't that many genre games that that span all these different things all at the same time. Yeah. I think mean, they've tried to do it, but it's it's a hard thing to mix. Because you know how does how does a dragon fare against you know, uh, uh you know a heavy machine gun? Yeah, it's you would hard. really need a rules system that could have everything be somewhat balanced. Yes. And yeah. No, I would agree with that absolutely. But I also just love the the whole you know it's it's a mind bender, um, and it's a mind bender that does not now um like Inception. I liked Inception. But Inception uh, spoon-fed the audience throughout almost the entire film. Of the, you always knew what was a dream and what wasn't because they were kind of saying, "Okay, we're in this guy's dream now. We have to do this one thing, and then we can leave this guy's dream." The only time it got murky was right at the very end. Otherwise, everything leading up there was very spoon-fed. As far as you know, you were you knew where you were the whole time. At least I felt that way. In this one. It's hard at times knowing exactly what she is fantasizing and what it, it blurs the lines between reality and fantasy. On top of the fact that if you watch it, if you go back and rewatch it, you pick up things you missed the first time through. It's actually made really clear once once you know what the story is. In the beginning, it's made very clear that this story is not baby doll story. Yeah. Um, because in the beginning, she starts in the lobotomy room. Yeah, yes. But then she's on a stage, and when she stands up, it's not her, it's Sweet Pea, which immediately then, knowing what you know, having watched before, you now know, yeah, this is Sweet Pea's story. This is Sweet Pea's escape, is what this actually is all about. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, and it's just one where I walked out of going, I want to play games in that world. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, so that, that is sucker punch. Um, and you know, I mean, again, I'm not going to, I'm not going to sit here and say, I didn't like the pretty girls. Yeah. So, I mean, I know some people who they were instantly turned off by that and I can see that to a point, but I think to not even give them a chance, I think was a mistake some people made. And, uh, there was actually one person who did a great review on it. Um, Cat Hill, who is known as the Action Chip Girl, if I remember, I hope I'm not screwing that up. Um, she wrote a, a great article on it where she understood what was going on, that it was not just simply a cheesecake film. Yeah, it wasn't so, about TNA. It was, no. it was escapism and, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> and then, because you mentioned film noir, <laughs> I had to throw something in there. So, Maltese Falcon. Um, it is one of my all-time favorite film noir films. I mean, I like a lot of film noir. I mean, you know, The Big Sleep, uh, just Double Indemnity, uh, Casablanca, kind of. It's, I don't really consider that one so much film noir. It's just kind of, it has Hubbard uh, Bar, so people call it film noir. But uh, this one is just, it's that quintessential private eye, you know, Sam Spade, Sam Spade, you know, I mean, it's you know, Philip Marlowe, 
type stuff. That is, you know, Philip Miles says, those are like the names of like the big detectives. And this one is just, it's so much a product of its time. I love the dialogue. I love the interaction of the characters. It is a great movie. And it shows that kind of, that feel of, of, um, of the world back then, as well as this whole, you know, how, how everyone interacted. You know, you've got the private eye, you've got the tough guys, you've got the, the detective, um, you know, the cops and all that stuff. And I, I just love the interaction between everyone. And it's got one of my favorite uh, moments is when uh, Humphrey Bogart goes to slap the one guy and the guy pulls away and he's like, hey, when I hit you, you're going to stand there, you're going to take it. You know, it's just, it's that, you know, it's, it's the quintessential, you know, tough guy, private eye. Um, and I love it. And, and I actually based, uh, when I ran Top Secret, I ran Top Secret all the way through college, actually, um, or actually up through my sophomore year of college, I ran Top Secret games. And I took a lot of inspiration for the film noir stuff. Um, I almost, almost every game, I had people who were very reminiscent of, um, Peter Laurie, <laughs> as sure. well as uh, Sydney Greenstreet. Okay. <laughs> My good man, Rick. <laughs> you know that? Yeah. The one who hires you for the job, and you can't trust him because he's as crooked as they come. And the Weasley guy that Peter Laurie always played, I just love, love those characters. And I use those in games so many times over the years, and it makes me actually, talking about it now, I'm jonesing to go back and do some of my old top secret stuff that I ran, that I ran um, using source books from uh, actually Call of Cthulhu and other games like that because I ran it in the 1940s. And I, I use like some, like some, I mean, obviously Cthulhu was 1920s, but it was close enough for a lot of like the advertising, the clothing styles and stuff like that, where they had the, for picking equipment and all that stuff. And I, loved running those games and most of my players enjoyed it there was one guy who didn't because he was simply a can i hit it with a sword type of guy yeah yeah which i'm not saying that's a bad thing that's what some people like but i loved running running these games um and this one was just it's one of those movies that i just i adore this movie um and i love the book too um by dashiell hammett um, even though there's differences and you know, whatever, blah, I don't care. Um, <laughs> I'm a hypocrite when it comes to things that don't follow exactly the book. If they do a good job of it, they make a good film. I, mean, I can, I can forgive the fact that it's not exactly like the book. Um, and this, I think is one of the best film noir films that ever existed. And I know some people think it's overrated just because it's, it's Bogart, you know, and blah, 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 whatever. Shut up. You. <laughs> you know what? What? I found the rules on scribed.com. Ooh. And I sent you a link. And I'm going to include it in the show notes, by God. Wonderful. Yeah. I don't know where you sent me a link, but okay. I put it in the document and then also oh, yeah, in is. the yep in the comments yeah oh, there you <laughs> so I am uh, actually uh, I do have a scribed account 
and I will be downloading it now. I should get a Skype account. Uh, you can uh, create an account with your Facebook. Wonderful. Yep. And, and you know, I go we went through our our ten movies, and I would be remiss if I left one out, because I remember walking out of the theater, and when I did my review for it on the B movie bunker, you know, it's on a B movie, the words I use is as I said, I want to play this as a tabletop game right now, and that was the new Mad Max. Oh, okay. Um, and it wasn't so much just RPG, it was Car Wars. Oh, sure, yep. And when we played Car Wars, we played it um, as an RPG. I mean, we did the Car Wars stuff where we drove around and we, you know, drove our cars and we had big car, car wars, I guess, as it were. But then we did, uh, we had characters that we did stuff outside of our cars. And, you know, it was very much taken from the original Road Warrior film. Uh, that my my DM had based, or Game Master, I suppose, would be the proper term, because it's not Dungeons & Dragons. <laughs> we're going to be talking, oh, well, actually, it would be Game Master. <laughs> um, and, and I remember walking out of the theater going, I want to play that game right now. And it's not often I walk out of a movie, and that's the first thought to my mind, is I want to play that as a game, and not a video game. Um as a, I want to, I want to play in this, in this as a world type of thing. Sure. And there's, there's just so many movies out there that, um, over the years, I have mined so much off of movies and TV shows. I mean, and you have, you have your classics. Obviously, Star Trek, and has a wealth of just stories you can pull from, and Doctor Who, and sure. Jabberwock Five. Oh. I mean, sci-fi is rife with stories that you can take and it doesn't take that much to tweak just a little bit where yeah. you can fool players who have even watched the stuff with you yeah i mean the the stuff i ran off of film noir that i that i ran for the top secret one of the people who played a campaign introduced me to half the movies that i used <laughs> he's the one who had them on vhs sure that i borrowed them from so you know, I, I guess that's the thing that, and the true purpose of this particular episode, now that we've gone through everything, is that there are ideas to be found everywhere, and they don't necessarily have to just, you don't need to create it in a void that's just your head. You know, even the best writers use other source material to create ideas and maybe find a new twist on a theme that has come up before. Um, don't try to create in a vacuum, you know. There's a lot of material out there which you can borrow either the theme or some of the structure and, you know, you're not stealing. You are taking an idea and you are making it your own. And in so doing, you have the ability to perhaps introduce your players to something entirely new, maybe something they hadn't uh, thought of, seen before. You know, by the time you get done with that particular session, you could say, okay, well, this is based on this. 
And if you want to know more about this, if you had a good time, check out the Maltese Falcon. Check out Mystery Men. Check out, you know, uh, Lady Hawk. Check out Sucker Punch. <clears throat> Whatever. It's a good way to open doors to show people other things that, you know, if you enjoyed this, hey, check out this. I mean, Amazon does it all the time. <laughs> you buy something and it goes, hey, people that bought this also were interested in looking at this. So it, it's just accomplishing the same thing. There's nothing wrong with exposing people to, to new things and new ideas and new new materials, new books, new comics that, you know, they probably haven't checked out and, and maybe they should. So. Uh, by all means, borrow away. All right. We are going to wrap things up here. We're going to jump into Hello, My Name Is. It's your opportunity to tell us about your favorite character uh, that you have or are currently playing. I keep thinking about last uh, last meeting's Papadopoulos butt dicks uh, who did receive the certificate that we send out to those who uh, play along with us and submit their character to us. Uh, you go to galacticnetcasts.com and you go to the podcasts section of Adventure Party and we have a link that takes you directly to Hello, My Name Is. You fill out a short form. Yes, I do ask for your email address. No, I despise spamming in all its fashions. The only reason why I ask for the email address is if we use your character for the Hello My Name Is uh, section on here is to send you a certificate uh, suitable for framing uh, that we create for each person who uh, we choose for this and um, just as a way to say thank you for taking the time to uh, join us and to share a little bit about a character that they loved, a little bit about a, char uh, a system that they enjoy playing and uh, why that character that you played was so cool. So it's just a way to, to celebrate you and your character and um, expose people to another game system that uh, maybe they haven't tried before. And we talk a little bit about the game system as well. Uh, and we did get some feedback, Glenn. Uh, <laughs> back in uh, meeting number 11, we talked about uh, an RPG adaptation of Mist and Riven that was called uh, Unwritten. Yeah. <clears throat> and so it's the Cyan classic game system from the early 2000s, which uh, was, was mind-bending and original and uh, was bought by a lot of people. And, uh, and an enjoy a game that I think opened up a whole genre of games where you... You know, you solved the puzzle and you saw kind of a video of, you know, some interactivity of your choice um, and how it impacts the world or impacts the, you know, the quest that you're taking. And it was a, a very, very fun and interesting game. And it looks like the people at uh, Unwritten actually noticed that we talked about them. And here's the, uh, here's the note that we got for them. Thanks to at Galactic Netcast and at B. Ludwig for the unwritten mention in Adventure Party number 11. So, um, actually, I'm looking to uh, talk to the folks at Unwritten and uh, get them on the show here. So, 
I look forward to that happening and, and sharing that conversation with everyone here, uh, hopefully fairly soon. So uh, thanks to them for taking the time. And actually, uh, our SEO must be fairly decent <laughs> uh, because they did find that mention of, uh, of Unwritten. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to talking to the Unwritten folks. Um, you can find Adventure Party by going to galacticnetcasts.com, and there you can find all of our social media outlets for our YouTube channel uh, where you can see the video version of the Adventure Party and always as we talk about especially Glenn's review of a game, uh, I always try to share the screen, and this is based on some user feedback, or I'm sorry, some listener feedback that we got uh, that we, you know, if we're going to show us, if you're going to do a YouTube version, by God, you should show us a little bit of what you're talking about and, and point well taken, and we strive to do that uh, as best we can so that you can see the games that we're talking about and stuff that... Uh, you visually need to see and uh, we want to share with you. So uh, please do. If you just listen to the audio version of this, check out the, our YouTube channel, which is Galactic Netcasts. Uh, you can find us there on YouTube. <clears throat> if you're using iTunes or Stitcher, uh, they do have a way for you to give a review and uh, comment on uh, on a show or individual episodes. Uh, I think on Stitcher you give a thumbs up or thumbs down, <laughs> and iTunes uh, there is a star rating. I'm not going to ask you for a five-star review necessarily, but uh, feedback about the show would be appreciated. Uh, you know, Any feedback that we get from folks can help us make a better show and uh, help us shape the show into something that uh, really suits the needs of the folks that we're trying to reach with it. So. Uh, please take a moment to do that. Uh, you can also leave us feedback by emailing galacticnetcasts at gmail.com or you can call or text the number 805-328-3966. Again, 805-328-3966. And you can leave us a voice or text message. You can also go to the website. And there is a link, and it moves... It moves. We're trying to keep you on your toes. It should be on the left-hand side of the screen that says leave us a message. If you click that link and you have a microphone attached to your computer, you can leave us a message directly from your computer, and it creates an MP3 file and shoots us an email letting us know what you have to say. So uh, there are multiple ways to get a hold of us and let us know what you're thinking. So I want to thank Glenn for joining us once again on this bold quest for movies that uh, could be RPG campaigns or could have stemmed from an RPG campaign or could be turned into an RPG campaign. Uh, where can people find out more about what you do on YouTube and the game Mist Runner? Uh, on YouTube, at uh, Naked Old Productions and the B-Movie Bunker. Also on Facebook at both of those as well, Big Revolutions and the B-Movie Bunker, as well as the Mistrunner RPG. Or just follow me on Twitter at Naked Hobo. Yes, Naked Hobo Productions. It's a name you should never forget. And you'll probably never be able to scrub that image out of your head. All right. Uh, thank you so much for joining the Adventure Party. May your characters never die and your adventures always be epic. Thank you and... Good night. You 
You have been listening to a presentation of GalacticNetcasts.com. For more about the show you just listened to, including how to subscribe, give us feedback, links to our social feeds, and more, please visit www.galacticnetcasts.com.